You are listening to an MLGA Network podcast. Welcome to Thank You for Your Servers, a show which looks at the tech news of today, but from a libertarian perspective. Now here are your hosts, Thaddeus and Gary. Welcome back. Thank you for logging into Thank You for Your Servers. I'm Thaddeus Preston, a.k.a. Nick Way. And joining me once again to chop it up on some tech topics is Gary Guthrie. How you doing, man? I'm doing much better than I was last week after smashing my face into the ground off my stupid bike. Told you about, I told you about buying that damn thing. I mean, I know, I, I know. I don't yeah, listen. You, you left coasters in your ability, in your, in your relentless quest to be green and efficient or because you guys pay exorbitantly high uh, gas prices. So. <laughs> I, I, I just thought it was because it was awesome, but. Yeah. Uh, apparently my uh my face learned its lesson with the earth but uh getting better and uh, i'm glad you're back my friend well thanks <laughs> <laughs> all right guys this is our almost weekly uh rant about the tech topics from a liberty perspective this and other podcasts are brought to you by the mlga network of podcasts let's make liberty great again fam and with no further ado topic one google loon takes flight the commercial deal in Kenya marks the first application of the balloon-powered internet in Africa, the region with the lowest percentage of internet users globally. So if you're not familiar with Google Loon, <clears throat> it's basically just floating balloons up into the up, uh, lower stratosphere to beam internet connectivity down on the Earth. Um, so it finally takes flight. Um, um, they're uh, in Africa. As a as a kind of full said service, a full a fully developed service. Now it has been used in other areas and disaster areas in a more of a prototype phase, and they've been flying these balloons around the world for a very long time. So the balloons are about twelve miles uh, into the stratosphere and can cover probably, according to this article, thirty one thousand square miles. And my my RF uh, skepticism thinks it's a little less, but that's still fairly impressive. Um, it, it provides basically LTE speeds on its initial deployments and is basically an extension on the existing cellular network. Uh, they mm. launched 35 balloons in the recent months. And on the 7th of July, like yeah, yeah, 7th of July, they started service. Um, wow. Yeah, I know. So you have Starlink. You have, you know, OneWeb being basically saved by government bailout. You have Google Loon. Um, and you have a lot of other players that are going to be coming online. Um, all of them are going to try to bring the next billion people online and have ubiquitous internet access. So what do you think about it, Gary? Despite this I think coming it's... from Google, the evil empire. <laughs> well, you know, the more connected we are, the better we, I, I think, are as a world. I mean, you know, internet connectivity and kind of ease of communication has really helped it, my own family being able to communicate better with uh, my wife's family in Ecuador, where, you know, 20 years ago, it was, you know, we were still paying $3 a minute just to talk to them, you know? Yeah. 
and, and now it's it's free basically so you know connecting the world is a wonderful thing i think it's you know sharing ideas and you know providing the governments will allow it right yeah <laughs> i mean and it's the thing right and people ask you know when are we going to get this here well there's a couple of reasons why you don't have it here one we really don't need it two it's a kind of a regulatory beast kenya has been a lot more open when it comes to the internet uh embracing really the internet as a whole I mean, they are they have been dealing with basically digital money since about the mid 2000s with their M-Pesa systems. Um, they're they're a highly connected. They're one of the one of the more highly connected African nations. Um, there's entrepreneurship all over the place. It's actually a pretty good area to attempt this, particularly because there are still many, many parts of Kenya and, um, you know, neighboring Ethiopia and other places that, that could probably use and benefit from that. If you could get this online with like a OneWeb or, or, or even like the vaunted Starlink when it finally you know, is up there with its 20,000 satellites, this is good stuff. These are good things. These are good stories. Um, sure. You know, and I, it's, I don't know that we're going to deal with too much of the foolishness, though we'll get to that later in the program. This is a good thing. Uh, network ubiquity is obviously like has huge liberty implications if we don't F it up. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. I'm just, so I'm really, I'm really just kind of curious how they, <laughs> I mean, they're balloons, right? I mean, how do you, I don't know. Maybe I just don't know balloon technology very well, but it just well, seems to been, me. Like they said, just... <laughs> they've been working on this for 10 years, bro. Basically they go up for about, oh, I think it's like a month. And they're just they're just using automated systems to kind of keep them there. They're 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 uh, scanning the weather patterns and they're and they're making adjustments so that these balloons stay relatively stationary. Hmm. Um, and then um, when it's time for them to come down for maintenance, they bring one down, put one back up in its place, and do maintenance on the ground. Yeah, they've been wow. working on this for a while. Like like I said before, and like we kind of um, we discussed in a couple a couple episodes ago, talking about Sergey Brin's like you know. Uh, you know, non-governmental like rescue force. These have been used in disaster areas already. These've been used in basically in Puerto Rico in 2017 in conjunction with T-Mobile after right. like Hurricane like Maria just like wiped out all their cell phone towers. So well, more more power to them. I hope I I hope that you know it benefits a lot of people and really you know hooks them up. I think it's great. Yeah. So on the ubiquity of connectivity. Uh, we should blockchain all the things. And this was <laughs> yes. one that you were kind of very excited to discuss. And I've actually gotten dug deep into it. And it's like pretty cool what this, the implications of this are. Um, so blockchain technology and the internet of things can solve some of the food industry's most pressing challenges and save it a hundred billion dollars a year. Maybe. So, um, we, I think one of the things we had read, um, and was, this was an article from, I think, uh, Cointelegraph, basically talking about being able to like trace items along the uh, supply chain using the blockchain. Um, and so basically, if you're not familiar with the blockchain, and I think, you know, we've done very, we've clumsily uh, tried to explain what the blockchain is, is it's basically a distributed ledger, a distributed record. Um, and it is the record 
and it is backed up by cryptographic hash. So one can't just put anything onto said blockchain because it's secured by math. What, now, what the blockchain will enable is it enables trustless and extreme trustlessness in networks and you know any sort of supply chain and most importantly transparency something in particular that the food industry needs to combat things like fraud food waste yep. all these other things you combine that with the internet of things or the industrial internet of things iot and what you have is you have total information awareness of one supply chain backed up by uh, a, a trustless system of math. Um, so IBM has been kind of leading this effort for a while. They've been working with Walmart, you know, California giant berry farm, something called uh, Carefor. Um, and they've been doing all these blockchain initiatives for the past couple of years. Um, they've been doing them in the UK. They've been doing them in Ireland. They've been doing them in Australia. Um, the big company I tend to see constantly show up when I, when I kind of delve into this, and one company that's really been on the cutting edge of this is like D-Chain. I guess they have been basically, um, for, for lack of a better better word, they've, they're just a company that like is built on like teaching companies how to integrate this technology. They have their own course because with every blockchain, you have your own token. Their token is VET. Um, and um, yeah, they use this technology to trace all kinds of things. Uh, the, their coin actually has a pretty good market cap, a decent market cap. As of when I did the research, it was about a billion dollar market cap for their for their uh, their token. Um, and they go over a series of use cases. Um, particularly, there's a Walmart subsidiary that's kind of teaming up with those guys to look at the, you know, their supply chain and bring, of course, transparency to the food products because we all know, because we'll get to this in a minute when we bash China. Sometimes <laughs> there have been food scares that have come from um, the far east and China in particular, and their you know subsidiaries in China are really working with this technology and these companies, these types of companies that are more enablers of this to allow them to do this. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm really excited to see some application. You know, for use of the blockchain outside of just crypto or whatever. Yeah. Particularly with the food chain, because, you know, when we talk about waste, there's an insane amount of waste that goes on, you know, and, and a lot of that's regulatory in, in nature, you know, you can only mm -hmm. keep a certain thing on a shelf for a certain period of time, whatever. And it's going to enable our uh, supply chain providers to really find the efficiencies, find where that waste is, um, at where along the chain it is. I mean, God, it's so easy to find it at the end when it's too late. Right. Yeah. But imagine identifying it, you know, a week earlier and saying, okay, well we can redirect this or do whatever. So I I'm, I'm really excited to see this. You know, we, we've always heard about applying blockchain to, you know, I, I work in the auto industry. So, or the auto finance industry. So when you hear about using blockchain for doing things like title tracking and, um, you know, contract management and things like that. And to see it actually being put in place in something like a supply chain, which by the way, you know, looking at these last four months and understanding how fragile the supply chain is, I think bringing this transparency and this, um, you know, 
this security and this efficiency to it is just going to be a blast. I think it's going to be awesome for it. Yeah, when it comes to enabling technologies um, that will basically bring down food waste from how we farm to food irradiation to regulatory stuff to honestly bringing the just-in-time efficiency to foodstuffs that we do with all kinds of products around the world um, is going to be truly astonishing. So just to kind of give everybody, you know, uh, not to give the, 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 uh, the subject short shrift, but to really give everybody kind of a, an example or use case as to why this is important. I took an excerpt from kind of some of the case studies that these guys have run. And they're basically saying, like, obviously, we've discussed that the food, uh, the supply chain for food in particular um, is, is inefficient. It's sometimes fraudulent, sometimes scandalous. Um, you know, case in point, like there's poisons that are being used to beautify foods on sale in African markets, mm-hmm. um, you know, case in point. But according to the now hated who, but still data, um, they report that one in 10 people in the world fall ill after eating contaminated food, right? Th- that yeah. is definitely That is definitely a hit on productivity. So foodborne illnesses mainly affect the health of infants, young children, and the elderly, and the sick. And basically, it costs uh, the global food industry an estimated $40 billion a year. And um, food fraud continues to be rising among consumers, which is why you have a lot of these, you know, for all all their faults, you have all the, you know, feel-good kind of granola hippie types really wanting to know where the food comes from. And I am actually, as the years have gone on, and I've become, you know, less curmudgeon, and my my view of what some of the people have been saying about like the food system for a while, I'm inclined to agree. I would like to know where my food comes from, right? I would like to know yeah. some some of where some of my food comes from. Sometimes I really don't care. I cook it hard enough where it doesn't matter. <laughs> but yeah, like th- this is this is very very important, right? Um, you know, this helps with reputation. This this you know, but it. The problem, unfortunately, with this type of supply chain, unfortunately, is the fact that it is very fragmented. Like our food comes from everywhere and yep. everyone has their own system of doing so. And, we're, you know, let's, let's, let's put it out there. Not everybody, uh, you know, the people pip- picking your coca, um, you know, um, beans in, um, you know, Central Africa aren't going to have IoT devices. <laughs> right to, no no to, i mean you, you're, you're only going to get it to a certain level right you're not going right. to get that granular and honestly do we want it that granular I, I i don't need to know the name of the person who actually picked my bean from the prefer, plant yeah <laughs> I, I don't need their story because i might actually start feeling guilty um so yeah. so 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 yeah this 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 is important right i mean it has a huge potential it's a huge potential growth area for blockchain right the distributed ledger technology, which I, I kept saying, I kept saying like distributed uh, ledger technology or DLT. I didn't know what that meant. Um, mm-hmm. It's funny when you delve into these subjects, it, you, you delve in and out of these subjects and you come back and there's new, you know, a new vocabulary. There are new acronyms and stuff like that. But basically, like the distributed ledger technology is nothing more than or DLT is nothing more than like, a blockchain. <coughs> right. Sorry. Mm. I think the, the the thing that helped me understand it was just simply, yeah. And I had to explain this to my boss, who is not technical at all. I just said, "Look, here's the deal. 
everybody in the world can see everything in this thing, right? You know, when you say distributed ledger, that's the thing that made it click for him. Everybody has access to everything in there. And I can't read it unless you uh, provide them with the information they need to be able to read that portion or to understand that, okay, yeah, this thing belongs to me and it's recorded in this ledger. Right. And this is, you know, but you have access to the whole thing and the whole world has access to it, you know? It, right. And so that's, that's what kind of made it clip to him. That's the extreme transparency of it. Um, exactly. And basically what the blockchain allows also is if that is ground truth in the sense that everyone can look at it and you can, it's backed up cryptographically with math and compute, you can then start executing things like smart contracts. If this happens, this activity on the ledger, then you need to execute this contract and exchange this value. Um, Exactly. All very, very important. Um, So in the age of health phobics, COVID-19, it's given us pause. Those things have given us pause on on the supply chain. This going forward, I suspect this technology will be pushed a little harder because we need to definitely like, we need to definitely empower the uh, uh, the health phobics or all the hypochondriacs we're creating. And most importantly, we, we, we need a real world use for the blockchain other than, you know, scams and getting rich or, or trying to exchange monetary value. That won't come right now. That's not what blockchain's good for now. Um, right. But, you know, and with technologies like, you know, um, BlockNet, um, which shout out to them on our when they posted the last episode uh, when they uh, Ryan and uh, Cam posted the last episode we got a shout out from Locknet because we mentioned them um, and so and yeah I mean I like what they're doing there are other projects out there that are trying to uh, interlink these um, blockchains basically these little mini lands and they're basically building the you know, infrastructure that is going to be required to interoperate between blockchains and create this distributive ledger technology or to at base at the very least enhance it or push it out, um, expose more of it so that these smart contracts can be used and we can get to this trustless society. Yeah. You Uf- yeah, utopia and you <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> oh man so yeah so that's on the optimistic note um that's blockchain so now third and final subject because we're going to be a little deep into this one because i have a theory and it's basically so tiktok in the coming desinification of the world so international backlash against hate speech and misinformation has proliferated on other services including facebook and twitter prompting an unprecedented advertising boycott right yeah, we've, we've we've heard that we've heard that crap before, um, but this is a MacGuffin plot device to the narrative of hate speech and misinformation that has proliferated on these platforms. But it is more insidious than that. So yeah, we've heard about. So first things first, we uh, so we've discussed at length, man, the sinophobia um, that you know has caused real concerns um, in the tech industry, and for good reason, right? Um, the rhetoric of the current administration is definitely a lot more hostile to China. Um, yes. again, there are some good reasons and bad reasons from that, for that. And we've discussed the, uh, basically the technological terror state that they're building <laughs> with all of these technologies. So 
look at these 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 stories and look at these headlines and here we go. So Amazon says that it will not ban TikTok from employee phones, but it definitely put out a note that it didn't necessarily want TikTok on its phones. Wells Fargo directs mm. the uh, directs employees to remove TikTok from the company mobile devices, which is generally a good practice anyway. Um, sure. And uh, the U.S. may want to ban TikTok. So the Trump administration oh. says that banning TikTok was one of many options that he was uh, <laughs> he was considering to push to punish China for the coronavirus, and also um, what they're doing in Hong Kong. So TikTok right now is the proxy for this. If you don't okay. know what TikTok is, go ask your kids. Um, yeah, my <laughs> my daughter shows me stuff on that all the time. It's I, actually I, I kind see. of funny. Yeah, I mean, some of it is actually pretty sweet. Um, so the question is, what is, let's first, let's get some background here on what is TikTok. So TikTok is a company based, it's not actually based in China, but it is a spinoff of a giant Chinese conglomerate by the name of ByteDance. ByteDance owns numerous software properties in China, um, TikTok being one of them, but TikTok is actually a result of them buying something called Musical.ly not too uh, a couple years back. Um, but it's, it's basically just these mega, see, that's the thing in, in other countries, we don't really see it here in the United States a whole lot. I mean, we see a little bit with Microsoft, a little bit with Alphabet. We see it a little bit with, you know, other types of companies, but in Asia in particular, they have these massive conglomerates that have tons of brands under them, right? Like if you, if mm -hmm. you live in like, uh, J uh, Japan, like Samsung does everything from banking to farm equipment. It ain't just phones and TVs. Um, you know, if you're in uh, Japan, like Sony does, you know, TVs, um, all types of industrial equipment, um, insurance, a bunch of a bunch of things. And this is what this this is what this ByteDance company actually is. And so, the the question is that since everything that seems to be in China has this aura of stank on it because it is very close to China. Um, we are always very, very cognizant of a Chinese company, or at least we have been over the last five years. This has actually went back as far as the Obama administration. We've had these, these, um, I don't know, um, cold war relationships when it comes to geopolitical and geoeconomical forces between us and the Chinese. But something's been happening over the last couple of, of weeks that I've noticed. And it, TikTok is just kind of one. Um, you know, now, I mean, it looks like they're, you know, they, the United States government, basically the U.S. State Department made gangster, um, by dance into, uh, spinning off TikTok and making it, um, you know, a U.S., a separate U.S. like company or whatever, um, where by dance has some ownership, but not complete control. And that's the thing. TikTok's not in China. Tick in China, there's some other type of TikTok like clone that exists. They're based out of Los Angeles, I think. Um, TikTok is. Um, oh, okay. And they have a Disney exec <laughs> that runs the ex Disney exec that runs it. So it's pretty Americanized, but you know, no one trusts it, and everyone's hating on social media because of hate speech and what's it doing to our kids, and all the kids is on the TikTok and stuff. So this is one vector of attack against China, but I think there are other vectors of attack against China. So let me kind of weave in a, weave a narrative 
and bring you down my conspiracy rabbit hole. So last week, this became official. So Huawei is the telecommunications giant based in China, started by a guy who was ex-Chinese military, who the State Department tends to have in their head and Western intelligence organizations seem to have in their head is still connected to the Chinese government. Maybe, maybe not. Um, so they were, they had bucked the trend of most, uh, the UK had bucked the trend of not purchasing 5G equipment, right? A lot of Western nations are not really down with uh, purchasing 5G network equipment from Huawei. In Africa, they do. In South America, they do. Um, but, you know, Western nations, not so much. We don't really, I, and, I don't, and I, don't, I don't think we have a lot of it, or a lot of it as part of our infrastructure either, um, for tons of reasons. So the UK reversed that decision and basically says um, it's going to freeze Huawei out of any of the 5G upgrade net, uh, network upgrades that are going to be happening. And basically companies that have already purchased Huawei equipment are going to be asked to phase it out over the next five to seven years. Hmm. So why does this seem important? Um, because we are doing something that is... We are doing something geopolitically that could yield either great reward and an expansion of freedom and trade or a thousand years of darkness. We're trying to freeze the Chinese out globally. Um, and so here's, you know, so the other place where TikTok and lots of Chinese apps are banned is India. So right. there seems, and so let me give you some headlines. Qualcomm to invest 97 million in India's Reliance Jio, or Jio, I can't pronounce it, whoever, uh, platforms. Um, you know, uh, you know, next story, Amazon is investing in Jio. Facebook is announcing the same. Google is announcing that it is going to invest $10 billion into the, in a digitization fund for India. Um, it's going to be doing this over the next five to seven years. It's going to do equity investments, tie-ups. Uh, it's going to be its biggest kind of incursion into the market. Um, like, a, we, like I had said before, Amazon stepping in there. And then there's these collaborations that are happening. You have WhatsApp and uh, Jio Mart. Uh, um, which is part of the Jio Reliant mobile network. Um, you know, it's going to do some um, long-term, you know, deals with them. It is basically trying to use what's uh, WhatsApp is basically a Facebook property that will try to be acting um as a payment uh, service alongside Jio Mart. You basically have Amazon, you know, Amazon growing in uh, growing in prominence there. They opened not about a year ago. They opened a massive campus, um, in India. Wow. So why does this matter? Well, one, India is having a kind of a soft war on its border with China. It, is, it has never liked Chinese influence in the region. We have now seen it fit to counter Chinese influence in the region by, not, by opening lots of investment between us and Jio or um, really Reliance. Um, and... So here is why this market is somewhat appealing. Now, while it's not as giant, and, 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 and you know, I know why people go and bow the knee to China. China has massive markets. China has more mobile phone subscribers 
than like the continent of Africa has people. It is a large market. It has it has near almost a hundred cities of over a million people or more. It is a huge market, but it is used. It it knows it's a huge market, and it has used that leverage in a geopolitical sense to make people very uncomfortable with doing work in China. So there are over 1 million mobile phone subscribers across India. And this is as of last year. And so Jilo or Reliance Jio has like 370 million of them. They're going to be a one, they're going to be 1.2 billion mobile subscribers in India before it's all said and done. And with the road ahead, everybody wants to just, it's looking like more and more people just want to get the hell out of China and the United States with its massive investment arms and its diplomatic leverage is starting to put the squeeze on a lot of things. Now, I don't like this desinophication. I think sinophobia is, is not warranted when it comes to at least doing business with some of these companies. Some of these companies are doing remarkable work in AI and machine learning. They're doing remarkable work in autonomous vehicles. They're doing great work in software development. Now, granted, that doesn't mean they're not taking those technologies and building, again, a technological terror state, a tyrannical technological terror state. They are. Oh, of course. they. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but there's this major shift you see. And, it, and, and, you know, and of course, there's, it's cronyism, right? Like, Reliance is the only company that's going to, like, benefit from I mean, Reliance is making moves. You know, um, this guy who runs Reliance, um, he, it, it's a conglomerate, like most of these large companies are. It, it does more than just, um, you know, mobile phones. It does a lot of things. If you go on Wikipedia, like Reliance or, or, or Jio or whatever, it, it's like lots of brands, tons of brands. This guy is going to be like the richest man in Asia here in the next 10 years if this stuff really works out. Um, and of course he probably does that because of crony of, of pure cronyism. I, I, I can, I can bet you that India is not necessarily the better market to do stuff in. Um, the Chinese market is probably a little operates a little smoother on the ground. Um, though it does have a very large administrative state in a very, um, a coercive way of um, making you comply with like state laws but india is always been the kind of underdog and the better market and there's been a mutual exchange in culture and in like technology between us and india over the last 30 years yeah you know, the old adage and the old joke about the you know calling customer support most of those calls in the in the 90 late 90s early 2000s were going to india Yep. Um, and they have just as they have just as good of programmers, they have just as good of engineers. They're getting better. They haven't always been the best. Eh, that, you know, I'd I'd argue they've got shift. I've I'd argue they've got good coders, at least in my experience. You know, good coders. I don't know about engineer or software engineers necessarily. I at least, at yeah, least that's always been the, that's always been the, at role. least on the supply or, or the uh, talent supply market. Right. So if I'm looking for someone quick and dirty, I better have my, you know, my specs together or it's just not going to happen the way I want it to. I, and I have to accept that. Right. So, you know, I, I see yeah. them maturing, but I don't, 
you know, I'm still not there where I feel, okay, yeah, they've got a really good, um, uh, how do you say it without being, you know, <laughs> rude. rude. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> slightly, slight, slightly racist. I don't yeah. know. Um, they're no, they're not good at it. I mean, uh, it, they've gotten better. Like 15 years ago, if you would have told me, oh, we're going to offer some of this low level uh, coding work to India, I'll be like, good luck. You're going to have to refactor it the minute you get it. Now, not so much. Yeah, maybe they've gotten a little um, better. For low level things. Yeah. For low level things. You're right about the architecture stuff, right? See, their software architects, the, the software engineers that are the best and the brightest, they come work here. Sure. Right? Sure. So, they, so, you know, that's, they go to Europe. They, they you know, they, they, they go other places other than India. Right. A lot of them are going back. Um, and, and again, this is just a geopolitical shift. I think. I'll put my optimistic hat on. I think long-term, this is good. Okay. And I think, um, um, but at some point, like this, this, this geopolitical cold war that is basically has technology in its crosshairs, I think that, that has to stop soon. Um, our supply chains are not that flexible yet. Like we've spent decades building up our supply chains across uh, Asia and the, the epicenter of all that for most people who are doing business in that part of the world even in even in Africa, are emanating from China, yeah. and in particular, very problematic regions of China. Uh, if we have if we if we have been paying attention to the Uyghur uh, crisis over the last decade, um, so th this was just my that was just my heart. I, I think it's just U.S. diplomatic pressure and a a and a kind of a kind of a soft power approach to really putting the squeeze on China because of what they're doing to the Uyghurs, what they're doing to Hong Kong, what they're doing to, um, do, do you, you know, see it? I mean, do you, I don't think they necessarily unleash the virus. No, no, no. I, mean, I just but, think they, I think they're just a totalitarian regime. It just kept, they kept their mouth shut. Too but long. do you see this pressure, uh, performing to its end? I mean, like accomplishing what its goals really are suspected to be anyway, or, or do you see this just being, uh, um, just some sort of, I don't know, power play or, I, you know, clearly, clearly well, we're trying to first and foremost. Yeah. First and foremost, if it's between States, it's always a power play. Right. Um, with, with no, um, with no kind of, uh, visibility on the short term, like disruptions and implications is that this has. Yeah. Long-term it makes sense because it's forcing people be it soft diplomatic pressure, power, economics sanctions whatever whatever we're going to be doing over the next year or so to really punish the chinese for being pretty for lack of a better word shitty actors over the last couple years yeah. long term it helps because it then distributes talent pool distributes supply chains and it may give china uh well, i'm sorry it may give india a little bit of the the boost it needs to like get their house in order a lot of reasons why people don't go to India is because on the ground it is it is it is a kleptocracy with anarchy and just not good. Their infrastructure is, um, I mean, I, I you know not to be rude, but it's ass. <laughs> um, and it's and it, it's been like that for a long time. Right. This may help. Um, kind of think of it as a um as a as a welfare program for like the other poor parts of like asia where like you know the only thing the only 
part of the relationship that needs to kind of start, you know, changing to be analogous to China is like them buying debt. Yeah. You know? um, trust me, we have a lot of dollars in debt to give away. So, I mean, hopefully they, <laughs> hopefully they're rich enough to be takers. Well, um, there've been, you know, we make, we've made trade agreements, right? Modi and, um, and, and, and president Trump, um, um, prime minister Modi, um, are really chummy. Uh, India likes Trump. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I know that makes, I know that, that may disgust a lot of people who listen, but Trump is actually very popular in a lot of places around the world because like he's, for lack of a better word on the, on, he's spreading the wealth around, right? Yeah. We do need to diversify our supply chain. Well, that, and I think that's and, where the big benefit is, right? Is, you know, we've got all our eggs in one basket, so to speak right now. And um, mm-hmm. we really do need to, we need to shake that up. Uh, yeah, and hopefully this is, but I mean, or TikTok, man. TikTok is just, you know, they, they got an ad strategy that they're trying to launch. And, you know, they're just trying to, they're just trying to be another, you know, you know, time sucks social network making money. I mean, there are Americans that work for this. There are influencers on TikTok that like make money from the platform. Like, ultimately, is there any like societal value to like, social media as it as it stands like in its now um late stages no it's a it's 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 a dumpster fire <laughs> um but <laughs> but you know i don't have anything against tiktok i think it's a little silly i think it's of dumb. course it is um but but it's entertaining um and particularly in this instance because we're gonna have a lot of people out of work over the next two years we should probably give people as much escapes as they can possibly i get. agree be it yep. only half naked uh, only fans girls or tiktok craziness and i think trying to block that from the market is an- not only anti-market but it's just anti-freedom it's silly it's petty uh, you know but normal citizens always get caught up in these power politics yeah right? and just think about it the influence of the united states in china while it is not as much as it would be in india um there's still influence there right there's still enough of our influence from educating some of their people or working with some of their people or extending our supply chains over there or doing basketball diplomacy over there, that China's a little freer than it would have otherwiise been. Is it as free as we thought it'd be after Tiananmen Square? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No, it's not. So just ask Hong Kong and um and ask Taiwan and Japan as they probably are secretly nuking up. I mean, the simple fact of the matter is. China kind of it's kind of like the social network companies that I kind of chastise for like, you know, wanting to uh, being all mad that the Trump administration wants to reinvestigate Section 230. Um, I'll tell this to the Chinese government and the people who allow the Chinese government to do this. You brought this on yourselves. There was only a matter of time before a, there was a populist uprising in the world's superpower to basically look at you and be like, with the politely extended middle finger, like you will no longer do what you you've been doing and that's going to hurt us in the long in the short term i mean it's just going to hurt and it might even hurt us in the long term um i don't like cold wars cold wars suck um and that's what we're entering yeah um but i don't know that's that that's the darker note i wanted to end the show on but i mean thanks for that that's just just (laughs) just my my theory yeah i appreciate hey hey I do this for you guys, um, the four <laughs> listeners that we have. So anyway, um, so if there's nothing else <laughs> you want to discuss, Gary. Nah, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> just happy to be here. And uh, thank God for your fa- Thank God. Uh, how's your face? Uh, it's you said it's better. better yeah. Uh, thankfully, you know, the, the fractures that I had 
were not serious enough to warrant, you know, titanium screws and plates, which was good. Um, got introduced to the uh, 3D uh, CAT scan thing, which in about 30 seconds had an image of my skull that I want for a 3D printer. So uh, um, it, it's amazing technology that they've got now to really just look inside your head, see what's wrong, and within a week know what has to be done to fix it or not. So We live in the future. Thank the maker. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> anything you want to plug, my man? Nope. Hydrocodone's good um, for well, uh, pain, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I don't want you to end up being a statistic. No, no, no. I'm already off it. Tread it's, like it's good. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Okay. Um. I of course I am Thaddeus Preston. That has been thank you for your servers for this week. I am at Nick Way. Um, also, go over to blogs.relativeprogress.com where I'm kind of cross-posting my other endeavors. And um, yeah, you may, and you will probably hear me in the coming weeks on the uh, flagship podcast of Make Liberty Great Again. Um, I really have fun when I chop it up with those guys. And also, um, something I've been doing on the side, it's Hush Hush Prototype. I'll be probably uh, pimping that out on Make Liberty Great Again when I'm on and when I uh, inevitably post to blogs.relativeprogress.com. So with no, with that said and done, I think we're done. And thank you for logging into. Thank you for your servers. We see you later. Peace. Bye, everybody. <laughs>